Hello, and welcome to Faculty Feed with me, Dr. Jerry Rabelais, Associate Vice President for Health Science Center Faculty Development at the University of Louisville. With me are my co-hosts, Dr. Stacy Sainer, Director of HSC Faculty Development, and Dr. Laura Weingartner, Director of Research for Faculty Health Professions Education. Once a week, we're going to come together to use this podcast to bring faculty development content to feed your hunger and satisfy your appetite so you can magnify your impact as an educator, clinician, researcher, and academic leader. Today we're talking with Dr. Hannah Fisher and Adam Hall. Dr. Fisher is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics in the Division of Neonatal Medicine at the University of Louisville School of Medicine, and Adam is an Assistant Professor of Dental Hygiene at the University of Louisville School of Dentistry. Welcome both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Both of you are recent Liam grads, and we brought you here today because we are really excited to talk about an innovative use of an asynchronous learning platform perusal that you use to facilitate interprofessional collaboration, and we really think that listeners um, can hear what you did and model that with their own learning as well. Would you just start by briefly telling us your roles at UofL or your roles on HSC? So I am a neonatologist and um, work with lots of different teams um, and have leadership positions within that division um, and as well as teaching residents and fellows and others that come through our unit. And I am a dental hygiene faculty member. I, uh, I'm a UofL grad as well and have worked out the community, but now I've sort of refocused my professional efforts towards teaching. I teach dental anatomy, and this coming spring I'll be taking over intro to periodontology. So both of you are recent graduates of our leadership program. The acronym is called LEAM. It stands for Leadership and Innovation in Academics Matter. Why did you enter that? Well, I found myself in um, leadership roles, both formally and informally, and wanted to make sure that I had the skills to, to do that well. I'm fairly early in my career as a faculty member, so at this point, any opportunity to you know build my repertoire of skills and knowledge, I'm ready to jump for that opportunity. You know, I don't have a leadership role yet, but I definitely could see something in the future, especially after the program. So a big part of the Liam program is a team project. I suspect it's the team project that you worked on that we're talking about today. Will you tell us about your Liam team? So our Liam team, we come from a lot of diverse backgrounds. I think that contributed to how we work together. We had a team member that practices family medicine in Owensboro, so a more rural practice, a urogynecologist and neonatologist myself, a statistician, and then Adam from the School of Dental Hygiene. So there's a lot of different expertise in that group. And the project that you all did looked at interprofessional collaboration. So could you tell us a little bit about interdisciplinary or interprofessional education generally? We found in one of our pilot surveys that it's not to say that those things do not happen interprofessionally, but they're very difficult to make happen. And they're incredibly valuable experiences for students that we wish we could do more often. But the problem is we don't have time or if we have time, the other discipline we would like to work with doesn't have time at that time. So that was kind of from our pilot data, what we gathered was the main issue. One piece that your project focused on was simulation specifically. Can you talk to us about, uh, for those who might not know, what does simulation mean and why is that an important part of interprofessional development? In real life circumstances, 
there are different disciplines that take care of a patient from the moment the EMS touches them at their home and brings them to the emergency room. The emergency room has multiple disciplines. That patient might be admitted to another floor that has nursing, RT, all sorts of different people that in real life work together to care for that patient and give them the best possible outcome. When we do simulation, we want to take things that are either that we need to learn, things that are high risk, whatever it is that we want to teach, we use simulation to provide a safe place to learn that. And often simulation occurs within specific disciplines. To bring in those other disciplines in an interprofessional simulation really amplifies how that simulation can affect the, the real life practice of people when they're providing care. When you all are thinking about interdisciplinary or interprofessional simulation, what is the current process for that? How do you usually do simulation in interprofessional groups? I think we learned from our baseline data and surveying that a lot of places just aren't doing it because of the barriers that Adam mentioned. Time and space were the biggest barriers. If you're in a bigger setting, like a university setting, there's a little bit more opportunity to bring different disciplines into a simulation and they have more resources to plan that. So it happened more frequently, but typically um, you have to have a space and somebody to plan and schedule and um, the technology bring the technology and oftentimes there's mannequins and other um, simulation involved um, simulation equipment involved that needs to be brought to a specific place. Everyone's scheduled and brought in, and you have one time that you might run a large simulation. So, t- talk a little bit about your Liam project and the ideas that you had to address some of these challenges. So we thought that if we could remove that number one barrier, which was time that would line up for different disciplines to be able to physically get together and have these simulations, that maybe we would be able to do this more frequently and across more disciplines even. Um, So we we had the idea of if this was done asynchronously and recorded with uh, video, and then move down the line to the next level of care and set up for that next group on a different date, different time, could be in a different state even. And not only let them watch the video from the prior simulation, but set up their new scenario with all of the errors that were made in the last simulation. Because you know we can't plan for mistakes that people may make um, in the real world, but that's what they may be receiving as a patient moves through the care stream. So you're essentially identifying that if you can take the synchronous requirement out of the simulation, there's still value there in the next care team coming and seeing the outcomes from the first care team and responding to what happened in the first session. And one of the pieces that we thought was really important too was building empathy and understanding of what other people deal with in their line of work um, that impacts you when you're taking care of the patient. And so seeing um, EMS care for this patient how they normally would, not only is there learning and feedback that can happen between both groups, but also um, some understanding of the challenges that they have that you might not recognize when you're in simulation in a specific defined space that's not the real place where care happens. So maybe we can talk now about the platform that you selected for your Liam project, which was Perusal. Uh, We've talked about Perusal before on this podcast. Um, Everybody in the Office of Faculty Development is a big fan of this tool. Where have you all used Perusal before the Liam project? It was through the Liam course that was my first introduction to Perusal. And deciding to use Perusal as our platform didn't come initially to us. We looked at a bunch of different platforms. Um, We were trying to find a platform that was 
user-friendly, free, and allowed us to use video, and as well as have some capacity to provide um, written or verbal feedback. And so as we were doing Liam, I think it dawned on us um, that uh, this might be the perfect platform for us to try out and use. Yeah, and I had not seen nor used uh, it in the the past either. And I think that underlines that two faculty members had no idea that this great tool even exists until we came into the Liam program. And I think you outlined the benefits perfectly. Like it, it can take all sorts of formats of content, and it really allows um, it allows users to engage in that content. And specifically for the challenges that you've talked about, they can interact asynchronously. So you don't have to have everyone together at the same time looking at the same content, discussing the same content, because the comments are there whenever somebody logs in and they can react to them. Four years ago, we were at a course design institute with an outside expert that had come in to the Delphi Center. And we're sitting there and one of the faculty members from the Belknap campus brought it up as a tool they used in classes of like 300 students in some introductory course because the the comments came in and they got graded and such and so it made the work easier uh, for them and and Stacy and I sort of looked at each other it's like the light bulb went off like there's something we need to understand here and literally before we left that day we had downloaded the app we had gone to the website and it became how do we use this and where do we put this in and, and so perusal has now become a big part of how we do asynchronous training in faculty development. And, and as you saw, we incorporated it into Liam. For the HPE courses, we've used this for several years now. And uh, we use it traditionally as a replacement for a discussion board. You upload your reading and the students get in and they have discussions throughout the reading. And it's amazing. I can't say enough good things about it. The, the reason we wanted to talk to your group, though, is you used it in such a cool and innovative way that I think can really um, can really inspire other educators or other faculty member here to use it for all different kinds of uh, training purposes. Can you describe a little bit how you use this for asynchronous simulation training? One of our team members is a family medicine doctor in Owensboro. Her husband had connections with the paramedic training program out there. She had connections within the hospital. Um, And so they just took their iPhone and one night paramedics were on call and not busy. They filmed them doing a, a delivery of a baby and then caring for that baby and mom afterwards. Pretty simple, just on an iPhone, sent it to me and I uploaded it to Perusal and then showed the video to my um, neonatal fellows when we were on call one night. They made comments. Um, They can type in their comments. Um, They gave really positive feedback, also some constructive things, and then filmed them continuing on the resuscitation of that baby. The intent that then the paramedics can go back, not only review those comments, but see what happens next. So I could see both like a backward and a forward. You know, the, the care team that is like anticipating the next step can see what's already happened. But then also the teams that have already worked with the patient see that uh, forward progress of care. That's It's really amazing the, the way that you use this. What feedback did you get from your team members that maybe hadn't used perusal before? 
Well, this was a pilot study, and we just wanted to see if the concept worked. Um, there was really positive feedback from all the learners involved. Um, it's a little bit intimidating, I think, to think about being videotaped, but then once people got into it, it was perfectly fine, and um, everyone really appreciated that opportunity. So I think this is kind of just the beginning. It doesn't even have to be just used in the disciplines that we were using it in. That's a nice thing about this as a tool. It could be applied to any setting, anywhere. Um, you can scale it up or scale it down. If you have, you know, one EMT program and you want to work with five ER departments, that's totally fine because they can all watch that same video. You know, they don't have to be in the same region even, you know, or going the other way to have, you know, multiple uh, EMT programs working with one ER by, you know, sharing. And, and I, I know we've talked about this before uh, on the podcast talking about perusal, but it's important to point out that people that are users for perusal don't have to be affiliated with U of L. So Adam, just to make explicit what you've said here is that anyone can get a perusal account. Anyone can be added to what's called a course, but you know, it's essentially to get into um, a training session. You can add anyone with any sort of uh, email address. So it, it's not limited to just the university um, community members, which makes it really powerful. Now the real power here, Laura, is that very thing that it's not like a U of L tool and you can only use it within the academic setting. Perusal is not a new tool. It's, it's years this thing's been around. When we used it, when we put it into play, whether it was in Liam or in HPE, it was sort of garden variety, this is how you use Perusal. What you did is you took it far beyond that. So the the I think the lesson that I learned from this is that simple, straightforward tools in the eyes and hands of somebody else might be taken to a far greater impact than this team of from ha faculty development would have ever been able to envision or do. Because you have different perspectives, you have different needs, you have different ideas about, oh, well then the dots got connected the right way for your team and it became, oh, we can use this to fix a historical hard problem to deal with and that's the logistics around interprofessional training. When you're thinking about other faculty that might listen to this episode who um, are the, the wheels are churning in their mind thinking about how they might use a platform like this or how they might address some of the challenges for interprofessional simulation, what advice would you give them for implementing a project like this? Don't be afraid to give it a shot. You know, if you start out small with it and maybe, you know, just do something, maybe it's if you have, you know, hundreds enrolled in your course, even if you do like a small focus group just to try it out with very low stakes. And if it doesn't work, then maybe revisit and modify and try again. Um, but don't be afraid to try it. A challenge we had in our group was just coming that overcoming that inertia to actually do it. Um, we thought about it, we planned about it, we wrote about it, um, but finally just doing it, um, we realized that it, it wasn't as big of a deal. We can, we can make this happen. And so I would think that's applicable to anybody and their work as well. One of the core things we try to do in the Liam projects is to introduce the notion of design thinking, which is a very specific set of steps that um, 
the model that we use comes from IBM because of an IBM relationship with the university, but there are other models for this. But design thinking forces you to put yourself in the eyes, ears, hands, and body of the person who has to do whatever you're trying to get them to do. Not to sit around with a bunch of engineers and figure out something, but to actually talk to people who deal with the problem you're trying to fix. So if it's how do we do interprofessional education, maybe you talk to people who've tried various ways of doing that and, and how to get around the logistics. So let me ask, in design thinking, as it applied to this project, can you share with us what approach you took to use design thinking to end up with the, the product you ended up with? We had a theory in the very beginning that we knew that simulation in a setting like this was hard and we thought that time and space was probably the biggest barrier based on our own knowledge of simulation. Um, but we took the time to really reach out to people that we wouldn't have normally have heard from and interacted from. We um, sent questions and surveys and follow-up surveys to um, teachers in the um, EMT field, radiology, um, OBs, um, family medicine. A lot of them were centered in Owensboro, um, but also at University of Louisville, and tried to get diverse perspectives so that way we knew what problems we were, that everybody was dealing with, and then use that information to then design and test the, the perusal prototype. Um, and so aligned with our theory, most people identified time and space as their biggest barriers. But there were others as well, and some that we hadn't even thought of. And so we used charting techniques to figure out which ones we thought were the biggest contributors. Um, and that still ended up being time and space. But I think that that, you know, observe piece of it really helped us um, solidify that next step of designing and trialing. Two things really that stuck out to me from the design thinking modules um, that we did was, and I can't remember the exact term, but it was the example of the airport where they were uh, printing tickets and checking people in and how to solve that problem. And they said the idea of, well, throw something out ridiculous. What if the airport was on the moon? You know, it doesn't even really apply, but let's look at the problem completely, you know, out of its natural setting. And maybe that'll help us identify unique things that we may not have thought about. Well, in, in reality, with the, you know, the convenience of the internet and the tools we have available to us with technology and high-speed internet now, we w might as well be teaching on the moon because there are things that we can do now that were completely impossible and unthinkable of, you know, just 10 years ago. So that stuck out to me. And I think thinking in that mindset kind of helped our team come up with this. Well, what if we do this online? You know, we think of simulation has to be physical with dummies, with equipment, with uh, people to give feedback, but what if it isn't? What if it's on the internet, you know, or the in-between is on the internet? And then the next concept was failing fast. You know, the, the whole thing of people being afraid to even try something because it might fail, well, we kind of jumped right into it and immediately looked for problems and stumbling blocks so that we could get over them and then try to move on with it. So those are the two big things that stuck out uh, to me from the design thinking. Yeah, it's just so exciting to hear how you use the, the design thinking process. And, and Adam, I think what you were referring to are called low fidelity prototypes, yes. where you put something together quickly and you, and you test, is this going to solve our problem or not? And then you rapidly rethink, remake, and reevaluate again and go through loops of that so that you can get a sense of, okay, we're continuing to refine this in real time till you get a prototype. And so, so many times people approach problem solving and, and it becomes 
a committee and it's laborious. And how many times have you been on a committee to solve a problem and it didn't solve it? This is at least an approach that we introduced in Liam for this very purpose, is to introduce a problem-solving tool, design thinking, that can help rapidly get to uh, at least these low-fidelity prototypes to try and figure out what's going to really work, what's the end user, thank you for bringing that, that forward, that's the term, is the end user, what's the end user really going to need? And so for as, as one of the... Uh, I don't know, the father and mother of, of Liam here, uh, is just so reassuring that this actually worked in this particular project. And, and wow, it's just, just fantastic. So design thinking is an important tool that I suspect you'll use and apply for the rest of your careers as you think about, oh, we're in this issue, what about this? And you'll come up with another innovative solution. So congratulations. We usually end the podcast by uh, asking our guests to talk about something that challenge our, our listeners to do something after they listen to this episode. So Hannah and Adam, what would you challenge the listeners to do? Well, the first thing would be to um, go ahead and sign up for Perusal and um, get familiar with the site and see how it might impact how you educate your learners in whatever field it is that you do find one aspect of their course where they could maybe try this out, even if it's a something something as simple as putting up an article or putting up a video. Um, it doesn't have to be something that they even created. Um, just to try it out, you know, actually in their course beyond just, you know, exploring it. Those are great ideas. And for listeners that don't know where to start with Perusal, we actually have a Health Professions Education HPE Journal Club that you can sign up for. We'll link it in the show notes. Uh, it's low stakes, very easy to just get in and, and see what it looks like for a learner, see what it looks like uh, to interact with the platform. So we'll make sure to link that for you. So Hannah and Adam, thank you so much for coming and talking about your Liam project. This was really great to hear about. Join us next week on Faculty Feed as we talk with Dr. Gay Boffman from the School of Dentistry at UofL. She tells us about her efforts to bring dental students the skill of critical thinking. Join us on Faculty Feed next week. If you want to up your game as a professional educator or to enhance your leadership skills in the academic setting, this is the place to be as together we strive to make UofL a great place to learn, a great place to work, and a great place to invest. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links and additional information from today's session, as well as our email address. Feel free to contact us at facfeed at louisville.edu. That's F-A-C-F-E-E-D at louisville.edu. Join us next time for more, and come hungry.